Lord God, that's our prayer this morning, is that we would walk away saying truly, sincerely, heartfelt that all we have is Christ, that he is our life, that there is nothing else that we can bring to the table. There's nothing else that can satisfy. There's nothing else that can save but the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so, God, I pray that he would be exalted in a powerful, mighty way this morning through the proclamation of your word. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. It feels good, so I'm just going to take my time. I don't feel any rush. It's just so nice and comfortable in here. In 2006, Will Smith, he starred in a moving tale by the true story of a guy named Chris Gardner. He was a San Francisco salesman struggling to build a future for himself and his five-year-old son, Christopher. When his girlfriend, Linda, walks out on him, Chris is left to raise his son on his own. And so Chris's determination finally pays off when he lands an unpaid internship in a brutally competitive stockbroker training program where only one in 20 interns will get a job. But without a salary, Chris and his son are evicted from their apartment. They're forced to sleep in the streets. They're forced to sleep in homeless shelters and even behind locked doors of a metro station bathroom. With self-confidence in the love and trust of his son, Chris Garner rises above his obstacles like a great Hollywood movie. And he became a Wall Street legend. Chris Garner started his own brokerage in 1987. And then in 2006, he sold it in a multi-million dollar deal. So we're talking about a man sleeping in, in metro station bathrooms to multi-millionaire. He was a man who went through tremendous hardships, but eventually overcame his obstacles to go on and build what we would say is a successful life. His pursuit of happiness became a reality. And many people today are on this same journey. We all have our obstacles. We all have these things that we're facing which seem to hinder us from the reality of happiness. And we all have a picture painted in our minds of what it would take for us to be happy or feel blessed day in and day out. We all have good days, but there's a certain uh, picture that we paint where we say every day could look good if it was like this. Uh, go ahead and picture that in your mind now. What, what does happiness look like for you? Is it a certain sum of money? Is, is it a specific car in the driveway that you're missing? Is it, is it having your health? Is it just a quiet, comfortable life filled with vacations and healthy relationships? What would it take for you to look at your life and say, I'm blessed? What would it take for you to look at your life and to say, I am truly blessed and fortunate and happy. See, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, 
in his introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. He paints a picture describing the lives of those who are truly blessed. And the word he uses for blessed here can also mean fortunate or happy. Christians are scared to say that we're happy because we always got to say, well, you know, I'm satisfied in the Lord. <laughs> we we, we got to say spiritual words so we don't sound like we're being too worldly. No, it, Jesus is saying happy. He's saying fortunate. Saying blessed. So, let's see if our picture that we have painted of happiness and of blessing and of fortune in our life matches up with what Jesus says is a happy, fortunate, blessed life. Look at Matthew chapter 5. We'll look at verses 2 through 12. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... How, how cool is that that Jesus, when he spoke, it was Scripture? So we know that what he's saying is truth. It's from the power of God. He opened his mouth and taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The picture of blessedness that Jesus paints seems to be far different than what we may have been presented with on commercials and other advertisements. Uh, far different from the picture that we've painted for ourselves. Now, when I think about having a fortunate life, a happy life, a blessed life, being poor in spirit, mourning, being meek, being merciful, being pure in heart is not what I picture. If I'm honest, my character isn't the thing I go to to determine whether or not I feel blessed. And if I'm brutally honest, I feel most blessed when I receive good things despite my character. One pastor proposed this. He says, suppose, we're, suppose we came up with the Beatitudes of the 21st century. What if we made a list of the kinds of people who seem to be well off, who seem to have made it, who seem to be happy and fortunate by today's standards? It might go something like this. Blessed are the rich and famous because they can get what they want when they want it. Blessed are the good looking for they shall be on the cover of People magazine. <laughs> Blessed are those who party for they know how to have fun. 
Blessed are those who take first place in the division, for they shall have momentum going into the playoffs. I'm going to keep all J.R. Smith's slander off the stage. That man needs the mercy and love of Christ. George Hill should have made free throws. Okay. Blessed are the movers and shakers, for they shall make a name for themselves. Blessed are those who demand their rights, for they will not be overlooked. Blessed are the healthy and fit, because they don't mind being in a bathing suit. (laughs) Would be a blessing. Blessed are those who make it to the top because they get to look down on everyone else. Do you see the difference? Don't answer out loud, but which ones would you say you're chasing? But the blessings that Jesus preaches don't have material wealth or comfortable circumstances attached to them. In fact, the blessed people that Jesus describes are quite the opposite. So anytime I read stuff like this in scripture, you see, I didn't grow up in church, so I'm naturally a skeptic. I didn't grow up learning Sunday school songs. I grew up learning many other things. And so I'm not coming to Scripture with the lens of, I've believed this my whole life. I'm coming to the Scriptures with the lens of, I was converted to this. God changed my heart to this. So there are things that I read in here that I go, is this really what this life's about? And so when I read the Beatitudes, I literally ask, Jesus, is this a joke? Jesus, are you serious? Or is, is, okay, is this just some kind of clever teaching or hyperbole? Uh, Surely Jesus means something else when he says that those who are persecuted are blessed. He can't really mean this, right? I mean, how many of us would actually say that we are blessed most when we are poor, persecuted, and mourning? Do we really believe this? And in the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness, with Will Smith, the hardships he faced, like sleeping on the bathroom floor, the brokenness of relationships, this woman walking out, uh, I wouldn't say that that was the part of the movie where he was most blessed. It was when he made it past the hardships. It was when he had the money to pay the bills and take vacations that we thought he made it. Because it was the pursuit of happiness, not happiness in the midst of a really cruddy journey. It was, i got to overcome this to be happy. I have to get here to be fortunate. I have to get here to be blessed. And if we're honest, in this room... Uh, there's a part of our own hearts and our own belief that has that very same thought. That in the midst of trials, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of being poor, in the midst of being humbled, that's not where we're truly blessed. Yet that's exactly where Jesus says we're to aim for if we want to be blessed. 
the blessing, the happiness, the fortunate part of his life, it seemed to be after the hardships. But if lasting happiness, if true blessing could be found in having material things and in being able to indulge ourselves in whatever we wanted, then most of us in America should be delirious with joy. We should be happy beyond description. We should be producing books and poems and movies that describe our state of unparalleled bliss. We're one of the richest and most comfortable civilizations throughout history. And yet, we find that we have some of the highest rates of divorce, suicide, depression, child abuse, other personal and social problems beyond description. One guy put it this way. He said, America is surely proof that happiness is not found in the state of having all we want and being able to get more. So even if we do find ourselves believing blessed are those on top, blessed are those who party, the 21st century Beatitudes, it implodes on itself because you look around and nobody's happy. Jesus' teaching in the Beatitudes describe a life A blessed life with a completely different set of values than the world. Jesus teaches us that happiness is not found in our material wealth or in our circumstances. A blessed life, a happy life, a fortunate life is a life given over to the values of the kingdom of God. Jesus isn't just using hyperbole just to shock them into getting to follow God a little closer. He didn't say, let me shoot for the stars and then maybe, you know, they'll get in the sky or whatever the saying is. Shoot for the moon and you'll be amongst the stars. He he wasn't overreaching to nudge you a little further. He was saying, no, you're going that way. I need you to go that way. I need you to turn around and go a completely different direction with how you live your life. The world is telling you that you will be happy and blessed and fortunate if you chase these things. And I'm letting you know. And the world is letting you know. You won't be. But blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Jesus is introducing the values of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God where all things are set right. There is no more depression. There is no more sadness. There are no more tears. And Jesus describes the people in the kingdom of God. So let's walk through these quickly. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit in verse 3. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor, Jesus is describing, are are driven to complete reliance upon God because they cannot provide for themselves. And so being poor in spirit is pointing to the reality that we can truly bring nothing to God. 
The poor in spirit, in the sense of this beatitude, are those who recognize that they are completely and utterly destitute in the realm of the spirit. They recognize their lack of spiritual resources and therefore they are completely dependent on God. Yet Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is there. They bring nothing to the table. They are like Chris Garner in the pursuit of happiness. Destitute, nothing in hand. And Jesus says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, This is the gospel. the, the, The good news that we are made spiritually rich by God's grace through Christ and his grace alone. It begins there. And then he keeps on. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who mourn, they're not only just the bereaved or even the penitent, they are the suffering. Those whose life is, from a worldly point of view, an unhappy one. This verse echoes Isaiah 61 verse 2, which promises consolation as part of the Messiah's work. Saying that Jesus would would bring about some, some reconciliation, redemption to those who mourn. In God's salvation, they will find a happiness which transcends their worldly condition. For anybody who who is struggling even with a physical disability, there is a joy to be found outside of yourselves. And that in the midst of your mourning and weeping and lamenting your condition, you find that's where Christ meets you. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, I would argue that true meekness may be a quality of the strong. Because the strong are those who could assert themselves, but they choose not to do so. Uh, The strong who qualify for for exercising meekness are, are the strong who decline to domineer others. It's a choosing not to abuse power on others, but to choose meekness and humility. And so we're starting to see this progression in the Beatitudes, this progression of attitude. And it starts with nothing to offer God. It moves to comforting those who experience injustice. And and then it moves into describing those who actively humble themselves. And then he says... Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So now these people are poor in spirit, exercising humility. Now they have a desire to see God's standards established and obeyed in every area of life. It's a passion. It's a pursuit. I want to obey Christ in every aspect of my life. He is going to inform every decision I make. And then there's a shift. Where the Beatitudes move from attitude to lifestyle. And he says, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Here we see the shift 
from attitude to lifestyle. The first uh, four Beatitudes express in one way or another our dependence on God. And then the next three are, are the outworking of that dependence. This beatitude is relatively straightforward. People who show mercy on others will themselves be recipients of mercy. And then he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in heart refers to the condition of the inner core of a person, that is, their thoughts and their motivations. Just take a second to think about the thoughts that no one knows about that you have. Do you still feel pure? He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You see, there were people in Jesus' day who were actually taking military force to try to bring about the kingdom of God. They were called the zealots. and it, They were kind of cool because they walk around with like daggers like in big crowds and go up and assassinate people and like walk off. By the way, Jesus had a zealot as one of his disciples. So when we like try to disqualify people from following Christ based on their past or who they are or whatever, like Christ can transform a terrorist. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. They, they trust God with vindication. They trust God with power and justice. You know, it's interesting that a lot of the values of the kingdom of God revolve around how power is used. It's having power and choosing to exercise meekness and humility. Then he gets in and says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He brings that original promise back around. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. You know, the paradoxes of the Beatitudes reach a climax here in this 8th and ninth Beatitude in which uh, not simply the poor and oppressed are declared to be happy, but, but also those who experience active persecution precisely for their righteousness. Their, their loyalty to God and His call upon their lives become the cause of their further suffering. And so to be identified with Jesus in the kingdom is to be on the path of righteousness that may get you killed. This is how the kingdom of God functions. This is how our God functions. He became poor in spirit. He became meek. He was persecuted and even killed for righteousness sake. Jesus isn't asking us to do anything he himself hasn't done. And if we're if we're to belong to the kingdom of God then This is who we're called to be. If we want to be blessed and part of the kingdom of God and fortunate and happy, it's these values in which we're called to pursue. You know, after examining briefly, you know, didn't do justice, all of them, we could go a lot, each one could have its own week. 
If we're to belong to the kingdom of God, this is who we are called to be. And after we look at these, each of these beatitudes, we see kind of some moral exhortation here. We see like character traits. And I'll be honest, when I read this, many times I read this, I get discouraged. Because this isn't honestly what I want. I want blessed. I don't want to be poor in spirit. I want to be the fun, jovial guy that everybody sees and he can work his way up and do this and this. I don't want to be meek. I don't want anybody taking advantage of me. Many times when I read the Beatitudes, I come away discouraged because this isn't really what I want. But Titus chapter 3 gives me a little hope. Titus chapter 3 says, When the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Because I don't... I I don't... um, I don't cultivate the Beatitudes in my heart naturally. I reject the values of the kingdom of God naturally. I need the mercy of God. And so when our Savior showed up, when our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. You see, in order to embody the Beatitudes, in order to embody the values of the kingdom of God, you literally need an act of God to change your heart. You need the glorious Savior to appear in your life to regenerate your heart, to give you a new heart with new desires so that you look at this and go, this is who I want to be. And then when you start to see the Beatitudes from a gospel lens, here's where you get to be encouraged. Because there's actually a gospel pattern in the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are, they're for me, one of the greatest presentations of gospel transformation in the lives of followers. Think about it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Before you believe in Christ, you have nothing to offer to God. You have no righteousness to give to God. But we are spiritually bankrupt and spiritually dead. And so the first part of the gospel transforming us is to realize that we have nothing to offer God and we need his mercy. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Because you have nothing to offer God. You need his strength and his power and his mercy in your life. Blessed are those who mourn. You see, when we come to God empty and in complete need of his grace, and then he draws us in and he gives us his mercy because of his kindness, you know what we do? We mourn over our sin. We weep 
over the sin that is present in our lives because of the kindness of God. We mourn the offense that is our rebellion to God. His kindness brings repentance in our hearts. And then, blessed are the meek, after witnessing His grace in our lives and repenting of our sin, His grace produces in us a humility that replaces pride and causes us to serve one another like Christ has served us. The Beatitudes are a beautiful gospel transformation pattern that we can see. If you're ever walking this life of faith in Christ and you get discouraged, Go back to the Beatitudes because it will remind you of the gospel message. It will remind you of the transformation that God is performing in your life. And after he humbles you, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. After experiencing the grace of God and the internal changes of our heart, the Spirit of God produces in us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. We have been changed from seeking satisfaction in the things of this world to seeking satisfaction in Christ alone. And blessed are the merciful. Mercy for those who have wronged us does not come from us in our righteousness or in our strength. No, the strength to forgive and to have mercy comes from experiencing mercy ourselves at the hands of Jesus. Blessed are the pure in heart before Christ so graciously gave us his righteousness through his death on a cross. We weren't pure. Jeremiah 17 reminds us that the human heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. But because of his grace, we are blessed because Jesus has changed our hearts. Then we become peacemakers. And even to the point where we're willing to be persecuted for Christ's sake. And Jesus says, these are the people who are blessed. The people who have been transformed by the gospel pattern of the kingdom of God. He says, the blessed kingdom belongs to the poor and the persecuted. And as followers of Jesus, we are citizens of that kingdom Now we get to experience a foretaste of the kingdom of God now. We're called, uh, it's the already but not yet. It's we we get the benefits, we get uh, the promise of the kingdom of God, and we even get to see tastes of the kingdom of God. We get to sing out to Christ as we will do for all eternity. We get to commune with the saints as we will do with Christ for all eternity. We get to give the world a picture of the kingdom of God as a church, as a faith community now. And if we walk in Christ and Christ alone, he says, you'll be fortunate. You'll be happy because you'll be blessed. Because true blessing can only be found in Christ. You know, this Greek word for blessing is makarios. There's different ways to pronounce it, but makarios. If you know anything about Greece, there's an island off of Greece that belongs to Greece called the Makarios Island. And, and it's known as a blessed island because everything on the island is self-sufficient. It was self-contained. The, the residents didn't need to leave the island in order to get their needs met. 
The island offered everything that they needed. The natural resources of the blessed island were so thick, so rich, so fruitful, and so productive that everything they needed to enjoy life was already built in. The inhabitants of the island were self-sustained and self-contained without having to run to another island to get their needs met. What a beautiful picture of who Christ is. Everything within him. Everything that we need is self-contained within the person and the work of Jesus. And we don't have to run to other islands or other gods to find the blessed life. But we keep looking for other secrets to happiness. We cannot manufacture a happy and blessed life because the person and the work of Jesus is the source of the blessed life. But we keep leaving the source of all blessing when we expect things outside of Christ himself to bless us and to fulfill us. Our house, it's a blessing, but it's a blessing to enjoy Christ. It should point us to Christ. Because when our house is the source of our joy, our house will never be enough house. There will never be enough parking. There will never be that extra bedroom we need. That one wall that you can't get rid of because every wall in Chicago has to have some huge beam in it. (laughs) Our jobs are a blessing, but they're a blessing to enjoy Christ. Because when your job is a source of happiness, if things aren't going well at your job, you... Things don't go well in your happiness. And I could give example after example, but I think you get the picture. What I'm saying here is that our blessings are meant to point us back to the blessor. Because he is the source. He is where life is self-contained. We don't have to leave him to find true happiness. We can only find this kind of character, the blessing of the kingdom of God, if Christ is in us. Because he's the source of this character and righteousness. So if you look at the Beatitudes and you're like me and you get a little discouraged because you go, I can never live up to this Jesus. And he would, he would say, praise God, because I lived up to those for you. Now, rest in me, abide in me, I will provide the source of all righteousness. I'll close with this. There's a story of a woman who walked up to a little old man in a rocking chair on his front porch. She said, I couldn't help but noticing how happy you look. What's your secret to a long, happy life? And the man said, I smoke three packs of cigarettes a day. I drink a case of whiskey a week. I eat fatty foods and I never exercise said, that is amazing. How old are you? 26, he said. <laughs> I'm not really closing on that. I just want to get one more joke in. It's too good not to put in that. I didn't know where else to put it. <laughs> Actually, there is a story told by Johnny Erickson Tata. 
Johnny Erickson taught uh, that I believe is it's a reality of our fight with happiness in this life, with blessing. During a break at a Christian women's conference, one woman putting on lipstick said, Oh, Johnny, you, you always look so together. You always look so happy in your wheelchair. I wish that I had your joy. Several women around her nodded. They agreed. And they just kept saying, how do you do it? How are you so joyful? How are you so uh, happy and blessed? And Johnny said, I don't do it. In fact, let me tell you honestly how I woke up this morning. This is an average day for me, each and every day. She says this, after my husband Ken leaves for work at 6 a.m., I'm alone until I hear the front door open at 7 a.m. That's when a friend arrives to get me up. While I listen to her make coffee, I pray, Oh Lord, my friend will soon give me a bath. She will get me dressed. She will sit me up in my chair. She will brush my hair and my teeth and then send me out the door. God, I don't have the strength to face this routine for another day. I can't face it one more time. I have no resources. I don't have a smile to take into the day, but God, you do. May I have yours. Lord, I need you desperately. So the women ask, what happens when your friend comes through that bedroom door? Johnny says, I turn my head and I give her a smile sent straight from heaven. It's not mine, it's God's. And so, whatever joy you see today was hard won this morning. I have learned that the weaker we are, the more we need to lean on God. And the more we lean on God, the stronger we discover Him to be. And that's my plea to you this morning. Find your source of joy and satisfaction in the person and the work of Jesus alone. Jesus lived out the values of the kingdom of God to demonstrate and satisfy the holiness of God. And Jesus died on a cross to save sinners. And Jesus resurrected from the dead to defeat sin. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you when you believe in Jesus. And Jesus will return, establishing a new heaven and a new earth under the reign of the kingdom of God. So today I plead with you, trust in him alone and believe in him alone to transform you into obedient, righteous citizens of the kingdom of God so that you may truly be blessed. Let's pray. Lord God, we we don't come before you this morning singing out of the victory that we've won for ourselves. We, we, don't, we don't have a power within ourselves that could save us or, or change us or move us, Lord God. We only have a will to submit to you and obey you and yield ourselves to your power to move us. And so, Lord God, we pray that you would make us holy righteous citizens of the kingdom of God here and today displaying your glory to all the world that they would see what a truly blessed life looks like found in Christ and Christ alone. We ask that in his holy and precious name.